All right, y'all, we are back for another episode. I'm excited about this one today. So I actually have my business coach on the podcast today. Her name is Kelsey Kerslick. And right away, you might be like, okay, why is your business coach on the podcast? What's been really fascinating, but also it's been so supportive in many ways too, in both ways is Kelsey was going through the autism diagnostic process with her son as we were working together. So we were working together prior to all of this. And then I transitioned to working with her one-on-one. I previously worked with her in a group-based model. And as all of this was unfolding and I really was scaling my practice, she also was going through the journey herself of having her son evaluated and ultimately getting diagnosed. So I'm really eager today to hear Kelsey's perspective on what really led her to initiating this diagnostic evaluation, what some of the concerns were, and how the process unfolded, as well as where her and her family are today. Welcome to a parenting space actually designed for you, where you can get answers about navigating a life that includes autism. I'm Dr. Tay, a licensed child psychologist and parental coach specializing in neurodiversity affirming care. I have supported hundreds of autistic children and their families and have been in the autism field for over a decade. And I know firsthand the impact autism can have. I was 12 years old when my little brother was diagnosed and my family had to learn how to navigate the autism journey. It wasn't always easy. Two decades later, I now create resources and services I wish my family had, including this podcast, and I developed the whole family approach to support your whole family and not just your autistic child. On this podcast, of course, we will talk about autism, but we will also talk about your personal growth and well-being as a parent, supporting your non-autistic children, and sharing personal stories of other families so you know you're not alone. Quick disclaimer before we jump into today's episode. Anything shared on this podcast should not be considered clinical advice, and you should consult with your team of medical, mental health, and developmental providers if you need support. Now, let's get to talking with Kelsey about her experiences of getting her son diagnosed. Welcome, Kelsey. So excited to have you here today. Thank you for having me. I know this is a long time coming. We've been like talking about this and been in the process, and I'm so glad to be here and to share everything. Yeah, I think it will provide so much insight especially for parents right now, maybe who are going through this journey, what this was like, as well as it's interesting. I just had a conversation today with a parent who was even on the fence. Is this the step that I want to take? So I feel like an episode like this could be really insightful into learning what the process is like. So why don't you kick us off and tell us a little bit of the background of your family? Obviously, I know this, but the listeners don't. Yeah. So I have my husband, Todd. I have a four-year-old son, Carter, who is now diagnosed with autism. And he was three when we were going through this process. And I have an almost one-year-old baby, Colt. He turns one in 10 days. So that's the dynamic of our family. Love it. And he's growing up so fast. I know. Like, I can't believe he's going to be a year old and he's standing up on things, like getting closer to walking. It's crazy. That is so crazy. So tell me, when did you start worrying about Carter and having concerns about his development? Yeah, it's weird because looking back, I kind of had this like trope with my husband where we would see Carter doing things when he was 
I mean, I remember he was on a walker. So at nine months, I was seeing some of these signs and we would always like giggle. And I'd be like, babe, that's a sign of autism. And he'd be like, ha ha ha, like you're bringing that up. We were almost joking about it because Carter would be doing these things. And I'd be like, oh, it's a, like a sign of autism. But no one thought he had it or we just didn't know what it actually was. And so one of the things when he was nine months is he would be in his walker and he would spin in his walker. So he would like circle us. I remember we had a patio at our old house and we had chairs in the middle and he would circle around us. And we were like, do all babies do this? Like he was nine months old, just like spinning. So that was yeah. something that like, carried on as he learned to walk. He would spin a lot. And he did have one of the first things that we were like, okay, he needs some support is that at two years old, he was not really talking. So he was talking a little bit. He had a few words, but compared to other kids his age, he was not meeting the milestones that he should have been meeting. So our pediatrician noticed that and she referred us to speech therapy. And so we went to speech therapy. And one of the things that made me actually wait a lot longer to get him diagnosed or to go through this diagnostic process is that the speech therapist told us so many times that Carter does not have autism. Carter does not have autism. She was seeing signs. She's like, I work with autistic children all of the time and he's, he doesn't have it. And so that made me feel like it wasn't even something that I had to look into because of course she's the professional. She's working with autistic children. Like Carter, quote unquote, doesn't have it. So I didn't really think anything of it. I thought he had a speech delay. He was working through it. He was making some good progress. He actually started to meet criteria for his age after about six months. So we got let go of speech therapy because he was meeting all of his milestones at that point. And we went on with our, our life. <laughs> and I wasn't noticing too, too many things. And this was also during some of the pandemic years. So I wasn't getting a good sense of what other children were going through. Carter's my first son. I've never been around children really until him. So I had no idea what was normal or not, you know, for neurotypical children. And so I remember this winter, this is like clearly when I was like, oh, Carter's different. We went to a zoo lights. I went with a friend and her son who's Carter's same age. I think they're about a month or two apart. And Carter was like following everything that this other kid was doing. And he was leading and Carter was just watching and then almost like interacting, but not leading anything. And Carter also was behind in his speech, I think a little bit at that point too. And I just remember being like, Carter's just acting so differently, but not in a bad way, just different. And we went out to dinner and Carter would be crawling all over me. I thought that a kid crawling all over me was just a normal thing that kids do. Like maybe they do once in a while, but this was like excessive, like sensory stuff. I'm now learning that he was like crawling all over me and not listening, but like more not listening than what I think a typical toddler would do. And I just thought all of these behaviors were very normal because that was all I was seeing. And so I think seeing that comparison and not just dropping him off at daycare, but seeing him interact with another neurotypical child at that time, that was really, really eye-opening. I remember the other child was also like doing imaginative play. He brought little toys and was like, 
Bowser is going to eat Mario and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Carter has literally never done an imaginative play in his life. Like never pretended characters were other things like that. And so just seeing some of those things that he was doing versus what Carter was doing, I was like, oh my gosh, like, I think this could be autism. And that friend actually, she's a behavior intervention specialist. And so I actually brought it up with her and she's like, yeah, like I noticed some like sensory things and like, I've noticed some things. And so we openly talked about it. And that was like the first time that I was like, okay, I think I need to go get them tested at least to like rule it out. If it isn't like, I just needed to know that point. Yeah. Wanting that clarity for yourself one way or the other. So other than the speech therapist saying this isn't autism, had anyone else brought up the word autism, like in terms of professionals or his daycare or anything like that? Oh, not at that point. No one really did. The daycare we were at before, they did bring up some of his like behavior, how he had a hard time transitioning from task to task and how at nap time he would, he wouldn't really nap and he would kind of like just get a little bit disruptive. He cried a lot at things that, you know, typical children maybe wouldn't, he, he just had a lot of emotions, like more so than typical children over things that they weren't having issues with, but Carter was, and his teachers were just like really loving about it. They were like, oh, yeah, like we're keeping him in this classroom because there's two of us and one can be with Carter while one's with the rest of the children. Like, oh my gosh, one teacher just has to be with Carter all of the time. That's a sign, even though they weren't really saying it. And they're like, we don't mind. We just hug and snuggle him. And he's good after a while. I'm like, okay, but that isn't normal either. So, right. right. So I'm curious then when the speech therapist said to you like over and over, oh, this isn't autism. And obviously looking back now, it's shaped by what you do know. But do you have any sense of looking back, like how you felt in those moments as she was saying that? I think I felt some relief because I was noticing the spinning or he didn't do this a ton, but he would line things up a little bit. And so there was just like some of those typical things that you look like if you Google like signs of autism, like he was doing some of them, but not all of them. And so in the back of my head, like, oh, is he autistic? I'm not sure. And so when she said that, it was like, cool. I can cross that off my list. He doesn't have autism. (laughs) I just remember being like a little bit of a relief. The questions I wasn't even asking were being answered by the speech therapist at that point. Yeah. Which is interesting in and of itself. It doesn't sound like you were bringing this to her being like, no, we be considering this. She just would bring it up and say that he didn't have autism. And so that's why I think I waited so long to get him tested because I just was like, oh, the professional obviously knows. So, yeah. 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 Would she give you any specific reasons as to why she Mm -mm. she thought? No, she she just said it like once or twice, but with enough conviction. Oh, she did. She was like, he makes eye contact, which now I know with just being around you and learning about that. So many autistic children (laughs) make eye contact and it's like not a sign. So it's her basic knowledge. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah. Oh, that is one of the hardest things as a provider to hear that people are quote unquote ruling out autism based on one 
presentation of a symptom. It's mm-hmm. not even one symptom domain in itself. It's not like you have to have poor eye contact in order to have autism. And then to also rule it out, it's hard for me as a provider. And the thing is, I don't think any other professionals are wrong and they're well-intentioned in doing it. It's just this misconception of how autism presents and the variability in which autism presents. And I think that's what can be really, really hard. This is one I hear quite commonly too from the pediatrician. It sounds like your pediatrician, at least in terms of referring you for early intervention services was pretty supportive, but did you ever chat also with your pediatrician about autism? I I brought it up with my pediatrician and she just basically let me take the lead. So it was as soon as I was like, I think he might have autism. I'd like to get him tested. And she's like, cool, here's the referral. But she didn't notice anything that she brought up to go get him referred. It was completely led by me wanting that referral. So but it was not something that she noticed during our 20 minute <laughs> uh, doctor appointment once a year. So. Right. And, and that's the thing. It's sometimes such a short little snippet of the bigger presentation, but mm-hmm. this is, I hope eventually where the field of pediatrics will start to go is exactly what you experience, where it's like, yeah, maybe the pediatrician hasn't observed that themselves, but how do we just then refer to the yeah. next step for mm-hmm. parents to get? And I think because he already had the speech delay, it was an easy referral because of that. That's just such a sign of potentially having autism as well. So yeah. Okay. So your pediatrician hands you the referral. What what came next? So I called to get him an appointment to be evaluated. And the earliest they could get us in, I think was like 10 or 11 months in the future. And so I just knew that I needed to get him evaluated before that. I couldn't wait that long because also at that point is when we switched schools. So we moved across town about 50 minutes and we switched his school and he was having a lot of behavior issues at this new school that we had him at. I think that's when a lot of the things started popping up as well. And so I knew that I was already like, okay, I think he has autism. Like at that point, it was just a few weeks after I'd gone to that zoo lights with my friend. And I just had been, I don't know, talking to her. I think I was talking to you even too, as friends behind the scenes or whatever. And just I don't know. I was like convinced that he had it at that point. I mean, you were pretty accepting of all of it. Like, this is what we have to do. How do I get more answers and more answers sooner? And I just knew that like with that, I think the behavior at the school was taking it to a next level. They started having me pick him up at 3 p.m. every day because his emotional regulation was just shot at that point. And so I just knew I was like, I need some support. I work full time. And so I can't continue to be doing that. I do make a lot of my own schedule, but I like having my full work weeks to be able to do that. And I just knew I needed to get him some kind of support. So that was the first thing. And so I actually asked you and you gave me some referrals for places to get diagnosed. And I went through that process and we got it scheduled pretty quickly after that. So yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's the thing I would want parents that are listening to this right now, that a lot of times the referral you're going to get 
from your pediatrician is likely the pipeline they typically send to. And not to stop and think that's your only option if your pediatrician is referring you to that person. They're probably a great resource and there are other great resources as well. And so the provider ultimately was able to get you in very quickly. And that's like my mindset of that I do in my practice as well is trying to get you answers quickly because that waiting period is really, really challenging. In 10 to 11 months, you would, if I'm calculating right, you would still be on the wait list now, yes, right? I remember because I actually still have the appointment on my calendar and I think it was in July or August. And I remember just the other week seeing Carter assessment appointment. And I was like, oh yeah, that thing I scheduled forever ago. But I've been learning that even like my nine to 10 months that I had a wait list, like that's short compared to what so many parents are going through. I met a new friend recently and she said hers was 18 to 24 months. And what can happen in two years that somebody is not getting the diagnosis, therefore not getting the support, two years could change the entire trajectory of a child's life and how they're working through this and learning at those ages. And it's just crazy to me. Yeah, Yeah, it really is. I mean, it breaks my heart. It's something, here's the thing, like we have a huge systems issue and this shouldn't be what parents are facing or that like you had to face. And it's going to take a lot of work to redo it. But this is where I know providers like myself are trying to be like, how can we reduce this? Mm-hmm. I had a really cool call recently with developmental pediatricians that have the same concept in mind of how do we see kids sooner and have them sit on the wait list less for shorter periods of time. Yeah. Or even getting support before they have a diagnosis because you're just saying this child clearly needs some support right now and being able to do that while maybe you're waiting for an official diagnosis. Yeah. So actually a little behind the scenes of my business, thanks to collaborating with Kelsey and having her be able to guide me and kind of the growth of my business and her perspective as a parent of an autistic child, we started talking about a group model. So launching group therapy. And that is the thing. Your child doesn't have to have that autism diagnosis before starting to get support. It's not needed. There's ways that, for example, you've talked about emotion regulation. We can start working on emotion regulation as a foundational piece in all of this. I think that's the hard thing is a lot of times our current system, especially if you're going through insurance, you you can get stuck in, well, it has to happen in this certain way. So yeah. curious, did you end up going through your insurance or how did you navigate that? No, place? I ended up going to a private pay place that I could get in within the next couple of weeks. And I know that's something that you offer also. And yeah, that's the way that I went. And I just feel blessed and privileged enough to be in a place where we could afford to just pay out of pocket to get that done at that point. Yeah. I mean, there's so many components to this. And I would say there are options that if you are able to afford private pay, a lot of providers too will work with you. You can do payment plans. I know that's something I offer because I don't want that to be the roadblock for you getting answers ultimately. You make it very accessible for for people that need this happening. 
Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. And a lot of that is because of our work together of really just understanding what's needed. And I've been in this field for over a decade at this point. And the things that I'm struggling with as a provider, I realize parents are struggling with too, and that we could come together collaboratively to be like, what are some solutions that we can come up with in order to best support children broadly, particularly children, you know, that there are concerns for autism or already are diagnosed as autistic. So talk a little bit for you about the evaluation process, what that was like. And also as you're kind of narrating it, touch on your emotions through the process too. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> we had a couple sessions where we met with the doctor via telehealth. So we did it via telehealth. I was fine with whatever, and they were just assessing in that way. And I set up little scenarios that they had to go through in order for Carter to be in these scenarios. So they could see how he reacts in them. And Carter was going through a phase where he wanted to be in the dark and he had to turn his lights on and off, but mostly just be in the dark. So like one of our sessions, we just did it in his room in complete darkness. And I think I started crying. So another thing about me is I was recently diagnosed with ADHD. And so that paired with Carter's diagnosis um, of autism has been an interesting mix because I think my regulation is also being tested by his. And so I just remember being in the dark for that whole session and like crying afterwards because I just, I felt like I couldn't get to Carter and actually just do the process in the way that it was supposed to be done. But I guess it's not supposed to be done in any way. They're just observing how he is. And we weren't able to do a lot of the things because it was in the dark and how Carter was going through it. And they were all new situations, which makes so much sense because New is hard for Carter to do a lot of preparation and transitions and things like that. So it was hard just going through those new scenarios and kind of doing different tests and all of that. Yeah. Heightened emotions for me, for sure. For sure. And I think that's so normal in this process. And also to feel like, oh gosh, this thing that we decided to do, is he doing what he's supposed to be doing? Mm -hmm. well, it's like, yeah, he really is. He's showing some of the difficulties with transition mm -hmm. and all of that. Curious, because was this also during the period that he did not like being on camera? Yes. <laughs> I only, because, okay, so behind the scenes, so she's in stories all the time and I'll watch her stories. And all of a sudden, Carter just started showing up one day. And I was like, <laughs> oh, it's so good to see him. And she was like, Oh, well, for a while, he just did not like to be filmed. Like I couldn't nothing whatsoever. And so I'm just kind of putting those two and two together. I didn't right even now. put the two together until you're saying this right now. I'm like, of course he was acting up. <laughs> yeah. He was like, I do not want to be on video. Yeah, he literally would like just swat my phone anytime I try to take a picture. So there's six months of his life where I have just hand in the camera <laughs> pictures of Carter. And I'm like, I guess I'll never remember this six months of your life, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. So yeah, that probably felt extra difficult for him. Yeah. And I think it's important parents hearing like as clinicians, and I think this ultimately was your experiences, 
realizing there isn't a certain way or something that kids have to do in order for us to be able to do the evaluation. I think this can be a misconception where it's like, well, they have to be able to observe in this way or else they're not going to be able to give me a final result. But in some ways, those behaviors are exactly what we need to see. Yeah. And there were some things that we tried to do like during a second session. I think I had like three or four sessions. I I know two where Carter was there and then some where it was just me answering interview questions. But yeah, we tried to redo some of the things and Carter was like still not doing them. So it was clearly like that is another sign in and of itself that he didn't want to do that. And it was interesting, all of the things, reading the report afterwards, seeing all of the things that they were picking up that I didn't even know that they were evaluating during the time, just things you would say or how he would act. Like one of the things is he was playing with his cars. I guess he was playing with them in like a repetitive type way. And it was something where I'm just used to him playing with his cars like that. I had no idea that was actually different than maybe how neurotypical children would play with their toys. So just things that I was like, I never even knew that was part of his autism. And it was just, yeah, him being Carter. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is such an important part of this is it was just him being Carter, that he's still your kid. And part of a psychologist or developmental pediatrician, whoever you ultimately see, their job is to dissect your child's behavior. So On the flip side, what was it like reading the report and seeing like every little thing they were picking up on? It just felt really validating to know like this isn't a fluke and it isn't like a maybe it's a he definitely is autistic. (laughs) And I didn't mean to like laugh at it. It just was like, oh, okay, this is not just a maybe it was a, a sure thing. And you could really tell by how many things that they were picking up. Yeah. Did you have any concerns with it being a telehealth evaluation? I didn't. I did telehealth speech therapy during the pandemic. I think I have an online business, so I'm like really used to Zoom and everything that can be done in that way. I mean, you do telehealth. I've learned from being in your business in that way. Like it really doesn't make a difference if it's online or in person. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I will say I actually have done in-person evaluations for many, many years until I launched my own business. And it was an intentional decision to do telehealth. And some of it was thanks to the pandemic. It's actually mind-blowing to think about. Obviously, the pandemic was so hard and there were so many not great things. But for mental health access, it was actually one of the really positive things that telehealth became a thing, that you could do teletherapy or tele-evaluations. And we had to learn to pivot. And then all of a sudden, I was like, wait a minute, this makes so much more sense. They're interacting with a familiar adult, usually a caregiver or parent versus me, who's a stranger. They're also in a familiar environment, which is their home. You can see on a day-to-day, you can get a better sense of what that day-to-day is like versus sometimes we'd get kids coming in the clinic that like never fully warmed up or parents would be like, this is not my kid. And so I, I found a lot of advantages in that way is it's more naturalistic in nature. Mm-hmm. And even though Carter was doing different things because of the scenarios that they were putting him through, there were still things that he was just doing because he was in his familiar area. And so 
that was really, I think a nice touch. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you ultimately ended up getting the diagnosis. So you went into this being like, I know this is autism basically by the time you got there. (laughs) What was it like then to have a professional confirm all your thoughts? Real quick, just a brief interruption, because I want you to know you don't have to navigate this journey alone. If you're in a place where you have concerns about your child's development, you've been on the search for a therapist that provides evidence-based neurodiversity-affirming care, or you're needing more support as a parent, the whole family approach may be a good fit for you. Autism doesn't just impact your child's life, so you deserve care that works for your child and your whole family. Head to the link in the show notes to schedule a complimentary call where we can chat about your unique circumstances. We can help you decide if Dr. Tay concierge clinical care would be a good fit for your family. And if not, we will provide you resources for your next best steps. I just was like, cool, like it confirmed it. Now I can get him some support because he was having a lot of issues at school. And I was more concerned about his behavior than anything and just wanting to be able to learn how to support him because I had no clue. And so I knew the first step was the autism diagnosis. So I was kind of relieved. I think that he did get a diagnosis so that it wasn't just, oh, why is he acting in all of these ways? So I was like, great, like it is autism. That's something we can support. And I can't wait to get support. That was more or less my, my feels. And I was going through some like mental health things in the winter. I have a uh, seasonal depression and I'm an open book about this stuff. So sorry if I'm like sharing way too much, but no. um, I, it, it was being exasperated this year. I think with the autism diagnosis or just the behaviors at school, I was getting very anxious about how he was acting, how he was going to like be able to be in school and be supported. And that was just something on my mind all of the time. And I did meet with my psychiatrist and she was like, I think that you actually have some not processing. I can't think of the word right now, but she's just like, you're still like grieving. That's what she said. Grieving the autism diagnosis. Cause it is something you don't expect to get when you have a child that is quote unquote healthy. And so I think then I realized like I actually like broke down in tears and I was like, oh, I am grieving this. Like outwardly, I was so like, yes, I got the diagnosis. We can get them support. But there is, I think, this sense of grief that I went through just being like, okay, like life is going to be different than we expected Mm -hmm. and not in a bad way, not in a good way, like just in a, in a way that's, we didn't anticipate this being a part of his life when he was born. And now it is. So I did go through some of that, but it, it was pointed out by my psychiatrist and not something I thought I was going through. I was like outwardly coping very nicely, but I did have, I had some tears over it. And I think that's such an interesting point too. I mean, I think if parents are listening to this, like in general, you, I've worked with so many parents at this point, but you've had a pretty readily acceptance of it, of just being like, yes, my child is neurodivergent and we're going to figure out how to support him. And autism doesn't have to be this scary thing. And there still were emotions around it too, you know? And I think that's important to emphasize here is that is part of this journey. And I'll also say that I had a little bit of like tempering into autism because my best friend is autistic. She found out later in life probably in the last year that she was. And 
her daughter, who's my son's age, also got diagnosed with autism. And so I talked to her every single day. And so I was kind of through the process from her going through this in so many ways. So I also had a lot of acceptance about what autism is, especially seeing her as an autistic person, as an adult. It just gave me a lot of hope that they're going to have wonderful lives just in a different way that they're experiencing the world and it's not a bad thing. So I I had that that concept going into all of this, which I'm really, really grateful for. Yeah, I love that. It's so beautiful to think about. And one of the things I talk about a lot is the power of and in this, right? Is you can be accepting and you can still be grieving this expectation because that's ultimately what you're grieving. When your child is born, naturally your brain goes to all the things they can do. And it's not that they can't do them. It's just maybe it's not going to follow this expected path. And what that expected path ultimately is, is it's based on neurotypical standards. And mm-hmm. one of the things I think as a society we're learning how to navigate as well is how do we build more acceptance around things that don't follow this neurotypical standard? And so it's that power of and in all of yes, this. I love that. What would you say is has been the most challenging thing for you? Honestly, Carter's behavior (laughs) in certain aspects and just he would get to some points where he would be so dysregulated that he was like hitting and kicking teachers and getting more aggressive and that really, it just, it didn't scare me as much as it was just like, oh gosh, like how do we support this? Because it's not good to hit and kick and be aggressive in those ways. And so just not knowing if that would get better, I think was concerning or if it would continue and like get worse and be very physically aggressive. And I think I've had fears that like, he won't make friends as he gets older. Like right now, all the toddlers, they're just like all friends with each other because they're toddlers, but like as emotions and like more of those like real relationships start to be built, I'm concerned about that. And I just, I want him to be happy and make friends and just do I hate saying like normal stuff, but I just don't know what some of those things are going to look like as he gets older too. So I think I have a lot of like worry for the future, but it's stuff I don't even know what I can be worrying about. So I just need to let it go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes easier said than done though. Yeah. Yeah. Maternal worry is so powerful and it comes from such a place of just wanting the absolute best for your child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how have you been navigating things since the diagnosis? What's happened since then? Yeah. So we were able to seek out therapy, which has been really, really helpful, starting to get just everything regulated and learning about him as a person, which has been really helpful. We also, we were told to do two things when we got the diagnosis and it was contact your insurance to see who can support in network and to contact the school district and see what kind of supports they had. And so it was interesting at this time because I didn't really know what that meant. And so I called the school district and all of a sudden I'm like taking him to all of these tests and I'm like, I don't even know what this is. I'm like, what am I doing? And now I know that he's going through the process of getting an IEP, which is an individualized educational plan for when he does enter school. He's at daycare right now, but when he does enter the school system, they'll be able to support him 
in different ways to help him be able to have the education that he deserves as a public school child, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's been a lot of testing and interesting. And we're on the wait list for the wait list again <laughs> for some more therapies. They're thinking that they might be able to have an aide come into his school to support him potentially, but it's a lot of just calling and navigating and taking it one day at a time. And I'm thankful to have you as a resource to navigate a lot of this because I would be literally lost without your knowledge because I was like, what an IEP? What is that? Like, what are these next steps? So just thank you for being there for me. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Oh, I love being able. It's one of my favorite things. I think I've shared this with you before is supporting parents that just got the diagnosis through what that journey is, because there's so many questions and so many things. And sometimes too, the provider you work with for a diagnosis, it's like a one and done type of thing. So it's like, they're going to give you everything. And then as a parent, you're going, where the heck do I start? And so I love being able to help parents navigate that really early period of prioritizing and also making sure, I mean, I know this is something I've said to you is, yes, seek out these services and make sure you're considering your bandwidth in all of this and your family's bandwidth in all of this as well. Yeah. I know there have been moments where I'm like, do I take them out of school? Do I become a stay at home mom? Like, do I get a nanny because he's having trouble regulating at school and so many potential thoughts. And we're thankful to still have him in school. And we are switching him to a Montessori school in a couple of weeks. So, cause he's still been having trouble at this school. And I don't know if they're equipped to handle it all, but I've been reassured that Montessori can be a really helpful place for um, autistic children and some of their practices. And if that doesn't work out, we will be transitioning to a nanny of some sort and, you know, just figuring it out one step at a time, I guess. Yeah. And you won't know if this school is going to be a better fit until you Um, try it. Yep. So it's been a lot of navigating and bandwidth has been low. Yeah. Yeah. It is hard. Yeah. Because then you're also running a business and plus have another kid and a husband and all of that, that you're trying to navigate. Actually, I want to talk about that balance, but before we get there, just because I could see this wrapping up the episode, what would you say is your biggest tip or biggest advice to parents that are listening to this right now? And maybe we're in your position that you were six months, 12 months ago? Hmm. I don't have a next step, but I think that learning about neurodiversity in general and maybe learning from adult autistic people and their experiences might help ease the transition into a diagnosis if that's what you receive for your child. Because I'm just so grateful to have had my best friend and her daughter in my life to show me like, how not scary this can be. And so if you can get any of that lived experience with autistic children, autistic adults, I just would try to do that as much as possible. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's been beautiful to watch too, because I think that really, from my perception has made it less scary for Mm -hmm. you, you know, and 
having these conversations prior to your child getting diagnosed and hearing different stories and all of that. There's so much stigma and it can be really hard to have your child diagnosed and to go down this journey. And it's not to take that away, but it doesn't have to be this thing that is absolutely feeling like it's the worst thing ever because there's a lot of beauty that comes out of it. Absolutely. And I think just learning as much as possible. There are just so many people along this journey that have shared their stories and helped in different ways. And it's just listening and learning and being open to everything is it's just been helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So let's talk a little bit then before we wrap up about your business. I've obviously referenced multiple times that you're my business coach, but what is your business and how do you support people? I'll let you articulate that, even though I know the answer. (laughs) So my business is called The Aligned Business, and we help people literally live their dream lives with a business that supports that. So basically whatever your goal is in life, I know you want to be able to have a thriving private practice and also be able to live a wonderful life. I know just getting into some of your personal stuff, your job can be a lot. And a lot of people in your industry are working 50, 60 hour work weeks. And that was something that you wanted to live that aligned life as you were growing your practice. And so that's what we really help people do is whatever your goals are for your business, we want you to be able to have a wonderful life while doing that. And we take that all into account as we are growing and scaling. And so we have a group program called the Align Business Academy, which is what you started in that helps people really get to their first six figures. I find that's a really great benchmark for people to have a great salary coming in and supporting that life. And then I work with a few one-on-one clients, which Taylor is one of them at this point. Yeah. And honestly, I'll share openly behind the scenes because I think it's a testament to Kelsey's group-based program is I got to six figures. I was able to leave my full-time job in academic medicine and step into this private practice. And what's also interesting to think about is I also think that sometimes we don't think about this, but ultimately we live more in alignment and we feel good about maybe whatever that proportion is. Me having time for myself makes me so much better of a clinician and being able to really serve the families I work with. And it's such this like cyclical thing that we often don't think about that we have to have joy in our business and our life. And ultimately it can take us to the next level. And that's something working with Kelsey that I've been able to really experience firsthand is business life doesn't have to be this grind all the time. No. And if it is like, it's just not worth it. And so one of the things I will say is that we As people are scaling and becoming profitable, I really do like bringing on team. So having assistance, having for my business, I have another coach in our program. And I will honestly say I've done that intentionally so that when life stuff hits the fan, my business is still running. And so that is such a big thing. As you're growing your business, we want to make sure that If your child has an autism diagnosis, you can be there for their therapies. I was able to take the time to pick them up at three every day for a long time. And it's just, you can have a business that flows with whatever life throws at you, whether that's great, like a maternity leave or an extended vacation, or when some really hard things happen. And we want that business to be able to support you financially. So that's 
the least of your worries when life stuff pops up. Yeah. And I will say you really have been able to navigate like, you know, and making Carter and what he needed a priority and like keep your business running. And so Kelsey also practices what she preaches. I will say she will push you in a loving and supportive way. She had me hire my first assistant before I maybe thought I was ready to. But like, for example, if y'all didn't know this, like I have an assistant who works with me 20 hours a week. Like she edits this podcast, for example, so that I can spend more time face-to-face interacting with clients and really supporting them. You had that 20 hours of work that you were physically doing outside of that. Like you would be in that hustle and grind. And that was never part of your goals, being a business owner and a clinician. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So it is possible. So if you are a business owner yourself, or maybe you are pivoting. One of the things I talk with parents quite a lot about is sometimes getting the autism diagnosis. It's like, what do I do? Can I keep working full time? Do I need to pivot in some way? Or maybe you have a business and you're trying to find that balance. I truly say this, obviously, I'm putting my money where my mouth is and investing and having Kelsey support me, but she would understand your unique circumstances too of having an autistic child and what that balance is like. So I will put in the show notes um, ways that you can reach out and connect with her. And that way you can learn more info if you want to learn about the aligned business. Thank you. Yeah. Kelsey, anything else before we wrap up today? Any final thoughts in your head you didn't get to share? I don't think so, unless you have anything that you're like, oh, I need to ask you this. But yeah, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad I got to share this story. And I hope that, you know, just some of those candid behind the scenes help people realize just aspects of their own journey. I know they've been really helpful for me listening to other people. So absolutely. Thank you so much. And that's a wrap for this week's episode of Evolve with Dr. Tay. Before we wrap up this episode, for real this time, I want to share a couple ways you can get even more value and what your next steps could be. First, join the Evolve Facebook group. We do Q&As about the episodes and so much more. I linked that group, my personal social media pages, and any resources I mentioned in this episode in the show notes. So scroll down now and join me online. When you submit questions on any of my pages, your question could be featured on this podcast. How cool is that? I love being able to speak on topics that feel directly relevant to your life. Your questions truly make a difference in the content we create here. One last thing, do your fellow autism parents a favor. Share this episode on your social media and tag me. Autism currently affects one in 36 families in the United States and many more worldwide. So I'm sure there is a parent in your social media followers that could be served by this podcast. Thank you again for being here. And I'm so grateful we shared this time together. Bye, y'all.